Welcome to the Run, Eat, Repeat podcast, sharing a rundown of tips and strategies to live healthier and happier in a fun way. Now, here's your host, Monica Olivas. Today, I'm talking to Dr. Jason Karp, one of the authors of the original study on chocolate milk as a recovery drink. I've been wanting to cover this topic for a while and was set to talk to an RD when it somehow came up that Jason, who I've known for a few years now, worked on the first trial. What? So I asked him to break it down for us and explain the study, chocolate milk's benefits, and potentially some other options that we can use for fuel that work. In case you're new here, I created runitrepeat.com almost 10 years ago to document my marathon training and health journey. Since then, I've run over 30 marathons, 50 half marathons, lost 20 pounds, and the site grew an amazing following. And now it's also this podcast. So please subscribe to the show and follow me at runitrepeat on Instagram. Now, let's start off with a warm up. So, for the warm up, I usually give an update about my life or maybe follow up about an old episode, just kind of share. It can be random. And today, it's super random. But I want to tell you the story of something that happened to me this weekend after a run that was the most random. And because I feel like we're kind of friends, I if we were really friends, I would potentially call you up and tell you this happened because it's almost ridiculous where I think I have to tell someone this happened because you would think I'm making this up. Now, important to note and relevant to the story is I currently live in Southern California. I was born and raised here. I have light skin and red hair, but my parents are Mexican, Mexican American. This used to be Mexico whatever, whatever. I was raised in a very Hispanic area. I identify as Mexican. You would not think that from meeting me, maybe from talking to me for a while, but not just from meeting me for sure. So I went this weekend on Sunday morning to run in Irvine. I really love running there. It's the next city over from me. And there are just like a ton of bike paths and walking paths and There's, I know where a bunch of different restrooms and water fountains are. It's very safe and you could just go for miles. I like running there. I'm a fan. I do this fairly often. So Sunday morning, I go do my thing, listening to my audiobook, running a bunch of miles. Now, because I think I should mention it since this is kind of a running related podcast, I think I did 12 miles. It might have been 14. I'm so good at this game. I am bad at numbers. Anyways, see, that's not relevant to the story, as with the other things. So I run 12 or 14 miles. And after I planned, I was going to stop at Ralph's because I needed seltzer, which is a huge priority in my life. So I do this whole thing. I've done this a so many times before, do the run, go to Ralph's, get the seltzer. And because it's seltzer, because I know I'm going to load up, I think I got three or four cases of it. I get a push cart. Normally when I go to the grocery store, I just get the hand basket. This time I got the push cart and I am loaded up with seltzer. And of course, 
some other things, a couple of personal sized watermelons, if you really want to know, an avocado, and I don't remember what else, but a few other things. I go to the self-checkout and I go to like the first one in the line and there's three on each side. I push the cart like past the little self-scanner so I could put in my little code and start scanning my stuff. I decide mid-scan, I'm not going to get the avocado after all. It's not (laughs) ripe to my requirement for today. Like I wanted it that day. So I put it down on the side where you can put your hand basket and I continue to check out and someone comes up and says something about the avocado. Like, oh, how much are those avocados? But they were kind of mumbling. So I was like, excuse me. And it's this lady talking to me who I've seen, I believe on runs before while I'm running, that is someone that is most likely homeless, seems like it, based on, obviously, like, I've seen this person more than once. It seems like they're carrying all their stuff, you know. And so I say, I was going to get it, but I'm not after all. And she's like, it seems like she's asking me how much they are. And I'm like, I think they were, she says something about them being expensive. And I was like, yeah, I think they're two for $3. And then she says, yeah, they're really me up the ass with those two. And she's not talking loud, but that part was a little more clear than our initial conversation. And I think we're just complaining about the price of avocados. I'm like, yeah, you know, but I continue to scan and that she's like, goes on this tirade suddenly about the people at Ralph's. She doesn't like them, blah, blah, blah. Which I'm like, why are you shopping here? You know, why are you bringing your business to Ralph's? But maybe, anyways. (laughs) So she starts going off, cussing, going on and on about how these people are, they're really out to F you. I'm not super engaging, but I don't know, right? I don't know what's going to happen. I don't want to be rude either. Like, I'm like kind of like, okay, what's going on? Then, because I am not completely engaged with her, I'm still facing the self-scanner, she comes in closer to me and she says, and you know who else I effing hate? Those Mexicans. And starts going on a racist tirade about Mexicans. And at this point, I realize that this person is not completely coherent, potentially has some mental health issues that are completely beyond my pay grade as just a fellow customer. But like, I assess this is not a teachable moment. However, what? You picked the wrong to tell this to like I am like what are the odds of all the Ralphs in all the California you got to come up to this redhead so she starts going off about Mexicans and I am like oh this is not a teachable moment Monica you understand that Uh, am I on a hidden camera show if I hadn't recognized her from other like passing by if she's hanging out somewhere random as I've run by in the past I might have thought I think 
I am on Impractical Jokers, and that is really Murr dressed up. But no, I know it's this lady. And so I say, well, I don't agree with you on that. Finally, I'm just like, I have to shut this down. And she goes, what do you care? You have red hair. You can't be Mexican. Again, this it's not this lady's lucky day. Like, she's really walked up to the wrong redheaded Mexican. And I'm like, well, at this point. And again, Monica, it's not a teachable moment. This is not the time. But the, hopefully, maybe this is a teachable moment for me, right? Which, yeah, I guess it is. This is the whole point. <laughs> but so I say, actually, no, Mexicans can have red hair. And she's like, goes off about the wall and about how they're sending all of our American money to Mexico. We got to get them out of here. Like, I don't need to repeat it. You are familiar with stereotypes and what people say. Or if you're not, God bless. And I hope that I can just live in a world without awareness of these things as well. Because what the heck? And she literally just starts at one point saying that she is a racist. She might have said white supremacist. I don't know. She says something. Like she owns that she's a racist. She says all her kids are white and just keeps going. I hurriedly finish my transaction because I'm like, I'm not going to engage. And she's gotten closer to me, which I super don't appreciate for many reasons. One is no, 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 just no. Two is I am, I believe, bigger and healthier than this person who's been just... (laughs) Probably had a very challenging life, so I'm trying to have a lot of grace. But, like, you need to back off. You don't want to do this. And the fact that you are stepping to me shows a lot of lack of self-awareness. Hello. And where is everyone else in the store at this point, right? It's because this lady is using her inside voice, which, I mean, I'm talking a lot of crap when I don't have an inside voice. So... I mean, maybe I, maybe the teachable moment is, hey, you can say some wildly offensive crap if you use your inside voice. We can all take that lesson from this little story. But I just try to wrap up this transaction because I want to get out of there. Oh, this is what I was going to say. Why I also, the third reason I didn't appreciate her creeping up in my personal space is, did I ever tell you that some guy hugged me at Ralph's? And I should say that not at Ralph's house, but this place that I keep referencing is Ralph's, a grocery store. It's a chain in Southern California. So I don't know where you're from, if it's Publix or I, that's the only other grocery store I know because I used to go to Florida. Anyways, it's a grocery store. Some guy hugged me at Ralph's and I, I'm like very particular about my hugs. Like I love a good hug, but most of the time a stranger hug isn't a good hug or like a first time hug isn't. Twice he hugged me. So I'm just thinking, is this going to be some other sort of uh, do not touch me at Ralph's situation? Uh, Like I have enough, enough. I obviously need to find a new grocery store establishment because between the hug and the racism... (laughs) Maybe I got to wrap it up, wrap up my business with Ralph's. I am a really big fan of Ralph's. I'm not going to, though, because manager special. So finish with my transaction. I leave. I park far. 
And I put all my stuff, put the card away. As I'm driving away, I need to make a left. And she's like coming out of the store, like crossing out. So I need to wait for her. She sees me and flips me off the entire time. Like slow, she's slowly walking. She makes sure that her middle finger is in my eyeline of my window, which at this point in the story, I think we can laugh because it is kind of funny. How did this happen? What are the odds? And also for her, what are the odds that of all the redheads that she walks up to and wants to connect over some shared racism, she goes up to me. And I mean, you could be like a racist or like a bigot or like prejudiced about so many different things. Again, what are the odds that she's like hitting right on the target of what I am? What? Anyways, congrats to her. I don't know if that's her lucky day or her unlucky day to walk up to any redhead in the world. It happens to be me. But I feel like I want the teachable moment of that to be the inside voice thing, which I still stand by. I... That's noted because I think that the lady that was like, man, there wasn't a ton of people at the store. No one else was using the self-checkout at the time. There was like just a couple of people in the other lines. So there wasn't a ton of people. I was acting chill AF. So it wasn't like you would think from my reaction that this lady is kind of aggressively whispering racist shit to me. But that is what happened. So use your inside voice. If you're going to be racist, check their nationality, religion, sexual choice card, whatever you want to call it. Like if you are going to say offensive things, make sure that the other person is on board with it. Just, you know, a little life hack. And I don't even know what else to take from that. I'm curious what you would do in a similar situation. I walked away from there. That was like my big thing. I was like, who should I ask what they would do? That was my first thought. Because I'm like, I think I handled it fairly well considering I ran either 12 or 14 miles. I was dehydrated. I am I mean, like, there was a lot going on. I just, <laughs> I don't, and I think I was like hardly paying attention up until the moment of like actual like she's blatantly like just being so outright racist that I was like oh crap am I gonna have to deal with this or am I someone playing a joke on me because of the fact that she is literally like naming you're a redhead you're a Mexican like just it was the weirdest thing again I'm not making this up she literally said these things like you can't be Mexican you have red hair it's just like oh my god lady 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 I suddenly am reminded of my brother always tells a story of how one time my Nino was driving him home from somewhere and they were all at a stop sign. And I guess the other person at the stop sign had the right away, but she wasn't going. And like, he suddenly just starts hanging out the window. He's like, lady, lady, you have to go. I'm going to get a ticket. And the way my brother tells the story is really funny. And I don't know if any of it is true, but that's my warm up for today. So maybe you're nice and warm at this point and we can get to the interview. 
Jason Karp is a running coach and creator of Revolution Running, a running coach certification program. He's the author of several running books covering topics from running for weight loss to marathon training. And he's one of the authors of the study Chocolate Milk as a Post-Exercise Recovery Aid, which was published in 2006. He's here to tell us how they did that study, the other drinks they tested, and the types of workouts that would benefit the most from it. More information and a link to the study will be on runeatrepeat.com. Now let's get to the interview. So I don't remember how it originally came up in conversation, but we were talking a few months ago and I think I brought up the chocolate milk recovery beverage question and it turns out you are one of the authors. You're the first name author of the study and A, I'm super blown away and impressed by that Um, and B, want to know all the things, which is why I wanted to do this interview. So can you start off? by sharing kind of how that even got started. Sure. Well, yeah, I mean, all this chocolate milk uh, attention is all because of me, Monica. I know, but it really is. And we've been, I cannot believe it took me so long to figure that out, but I really Uh, think it is. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I did this research when I was a poor graduate student at Indiana University. I was working on my PhD and uh, my advisor actually came to me with the idea, so I can't even take credit for the idea. I could take credit for the research because I carried it out, but I can't even take credit for the idea because uh, my advisor came to me with the idea. He was a swim coach as well as my uh, professor and academic advisor and chair of my committee. But he was also a swim coach at the local high school in Bloomington, Indiana. And uh, you know, swimmers are very uh, well known for the fact that they train twice a day. You know, most of them they do, uh, most competitive swimmers anyway, they'll, they'll train before school and then they have practice, of course, like all the other teams have practice after school. But uh, most swim, most competitive swimmers swim twice a day. And so there's a need to recover as quickly as possible so that they can, you know, do well in their second workout of the day. And so uh, he got this crazy idea about chocolate milk because it is high in the two nutrients that you need to recover quickly, carbohydrate and protein. So he came to me with this idea and I thought, yeah, that sounds cool. It's fun. Everybody loves chocolate milk. So let's try it out. So we designed an experiment and uh, then we uh, recruited people for the study and we did this on cyclists because one of our goals was to put them through a very difficult workout that hopes to deplete muscle glycogen, which is the stored form of carbohydrate. And then we look at how long it takes them to recover from that situation. And uh, Bloomington has a lot of very, very good cyclists because there's a big cycling race around a track every April in Bloomington, Indiana called the Little 500. And there was actually a movie, Breaking Away, it was called Breaking Away, that was made in the 1970s with a very young Dennis Quaid and so uh, they highlighted this big competition. And so uh, Bloomington, Indiana, every April, all the, the whole campus and the surrounding community and people come from a far distance to watch this 500-lap cycling race. It's a pretty big deal. So there's a lot of really good cyclists in Bloomington. So we got some high-level cyclists to be a part of this study. And then uh, we designed this experiment where we put them through this very difficult interval workout that lasted in excess of an hour to totally exhaust them and try to deplete muscle glycogen. And then we had them rest in the lab and uh, 
we had this design where it was randomized, where one time they did, everybody in the in the study did the whole experiment three times. One time they received chocolate milk. One time they received Gatorade, which is a hydration drink, and then one time they received another carbohydrate drink called Endorox. And it was completely randomized. So one, you know, it wasn't the same order that they received the drinks. It was completely randomized design, and it was also a blind study. So I did not know what drink they were getting. They were in bottles that were unmarked, but of course they could tell because you know you can't mask the difference between Gatorade and chocolate milk. So the subjects knew, but they didn't know what we were examining. We didn't, they didn't know why they were getting chocolate milk. They had no idea what we were testing for, which is the way to do the study. Otherwise, there are biases and. So to eliminate those biases, they had no idea what we were measuring. So they sat in the lab for four hours drinking these drinks. We measured how much water. They could drink as much water as they want for hydration. We measured exactly how much water they were taking in because that can affect performance. And then they took a specific amount, a measured amount of each of these drinks every time. And the drinks were isocaloric, which means the same number of calories. So regardless of whether they had the Gatorade, the chocolate milk, the Endorox, they had the same number of calories each time and then the same uh, number of grams of carbohydrate each time so we can control for all these confounding variables. And then after four hours of drinking this stuff and they couldn't eat anything at all, all the only calories they had were coming from these drinks. And then after four hours, we put them back on the bike and had them cycle at, at 70% VO2 max until exhaustion. And we had measured their VO2 max prior. That was like the first step of the study. We got baseline data on everybody and found out what their power output was at VO2 max. And so for the second test on that day, we um, had them cycle at 70% VO2 max until they fell below a certain number of RPMs per minute. I believe it was 60 RPMs per minute. And, uh, and that's how we measured time to fatigue. And so we measured work output and time to fatigue. And, and then we uh, crunched the numbers and looked at all these different drinks, compared a lot of the different variables. And lo and behold, it turns out that chocolate milk fared better than the other two drinks in terms of power output on the bike and time to exhaustion during this second test after the four-hour recovery period. And so the study was published in a journal in 2006. It got a lot of press because, you know, it's, it's a gimmicky thing. It's chocolate milk. Everybody loves chocolate milk. So, you know, a lot of fitness magazines jumped on it. They interviewed me. They interviewed my advisor. And so it, it made its way around, you know, the circuit. And then slowly but surely, other scientists and other places started testing it as well because you know, it's not good to just have one study. You can't know the truth on any topic just from one single study. It has to be replicated, and that's how science works. And then we look at the body of research on a given topic, and we can figure out what the truth is. And so a lot of other research has come out since our study, and everyone so far has found the same thing, that chocolate milk is very good for recovery, simply because it has the nutrients that you need to recover. And so it's great. You know, now I mean, there's a team chocolate milk that I belong to, and, and uh, you know, there's a big whole chocolate milk campaign for recovery, and a lot of races, a lot of marathons and half marathons, they will hand out chocolate milk you know, after you cross the finish line. And uh, it's great. You know, everyone loves chocolate milk, so it's, it's just a fun thing, and it's, it's really good for recovery if you really need to recover quickly. Well, heck yeah. I mean, like we know that kale is good for us, but it's always a delight when there's something that is also tastes good that you're like, actually, this could this has benefits outside of just tasting good. So that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And Durox, is that what it is? Is that like 
Yeah. A brand, what, is that just straight carbs? Was that sugar? Was there any protein in there? Oh, yeah. That's, no, that's a, a brand. So just like Gatorade is a brand, Endorox is a brand, and it's just it's a high-carbohydrate high drink. And actually, one of the things, we also had a questionnaire that we asked these cyclists when they were going through the study about, because we were also interested in looking at, like, gastrointestinal issues, and, and uh, one of the pieces of feedback we got was that they felt that that drink was very, it was too sweet, and that's probably because it has such a high carbohydrate content to it. But uh, but that was one thing we wanted to test. We wanted to see, you know, how the cyclists handled it because you don't want to tell people to drink stuff if they if their you know gut can't handle it. And so we also wanted to look at other factors related to these different drinks and, and the palatability and all of that stuff. And so yeah, the the subjects uh, thought that that drink was too sweet. Uh huh. That's so interesting. How did you decide how many calories you were going to give them? Well, it was based on the carbohydrate content. So it was based, I'd have to go back and look at the exact numbers, but uh, it was based on, I think, uh, one gram of carbohydrate per kilogram of body weight. And so they got the drinks like immediately after they got done with the, the first workout, the interval workout that was meant to exhaust them. And then they got the a drink again two hours later and then at uh, four hours. So they got it at specific intervals of time, and then it, everything was computed to control for, you know, for each situation. So the number of calories and carbohydrate were meant to be the same. And, and that how we got to the numbers that we gave them, that's all based on the previous research and looking at what is needed for recovery. Mm-hmm. And so there's actually quite a lot of research on post-exercise recovery drinks and how that drink should be um, formulated. And so it turns out that if you're interested in replenishing carbohydrate as quickly as possible and having your, you know, to store glycogen as quickly as possible, then you need about uh, one gram per kilogram of body weight. And so that's what people should be aiming for in a post-recovery drink. Yeah, if their goal is to recover as quickly as possible. For most people... You know, if you run today and then 24 hours later tomorrow you're going to run, then you don't need to worry so much about the speed at which you recover because it's going to happen over the 24 hours anyway. But for people who run a lot or cycle a lot or like in this case, you know, the way my advisor got the idea was with the swimmers, then, you know, then they do need to come up with some strategy to really hasten recovery because they're going to be doing a second workout on the same day. How does so for protein? Most people, 24 hours is enough. Uh-huh. How does protein play a, a factor in it? Because I feel like what I've always heard is that part of what makes it ideal is the carbs to protein ratio of chocolate milk. Yeah, and that's a very interesting thing because there's actually no research to my knowledge that has specifically compared different amounts of protein versus carbs. You know, So these ratios that we hear about all the time there's no study that I'm aware of that has actually looked at the difference between a two-to-one ratio or a three-to-one ratio or a four-to-one ratio. It just turns out that all of the research that is done on post-workout recovery, if you look at what the ratios came out to be, it is usually a three or four-to-one carbs-to-protein ratio. And so that's where this recommendation has, has come from. But there's no study that has actually systematically compared different ratios to see what's better. Mm-hmm. And I interrupted you when you were talking about timing. So what was the timing of giving them the drinks? 
Well, the research shows that if you delay carbohydrate intake by two hours, like say you do a workout and you don't take carbohydrate for the first two hours, that significantly reduces the rate at which glycogen is resynthesized in the muscle, which means that significantly reduces the rate of recovery. So certainly within the first two hours and even better within the first 30 to 60 minutes, because when you get done with a workout, especially if it's a hard workout or it's a long workout that severely lowers your carbohydrate fuel tank, that is the best time to stimulate synthesis and storage of more because it's threatening to run out of carbohydrate since that's the muscle's preferred fuel. And so the sooner you can provide a substrate to make more carbohydrate, to synthesize more glycogen and store it, the better. So within the first 30 to 60 minutes of a very long run or a very long bike ride, that's the best time to start this recovery process because that's when the muscles are most willing to uh, soak up, if you will, the carbohydrate that you're consuming because they want to store more right away because you've just depleted the tank. Mm-hmm. That, I, all of this is so awesome and interesting. And like you said, there have been a lot of follow-up studies kind of supporting this concept that you guys found. Is there, have there been studies that you know of, of, of things that are the same kind of like nutrients, but a different food or drink? Oh yeah. There's all kinds of, uh, I mean, nothing as gimmicky or as, you know, friendly as chocolate milk, but there's a lot of research that has, has experimented with different amounts of carbohydrate, different amounts of protein, some people have formulated their own drinks to give and they just make some like palatable carbohydrate solution. So yeah, there's a lot of research that has looked at different amounts and different timing and there's actually quite a lot of research on this subject. Scientists seem to be very interested in post-workout recovery and how to speed that up through nutrition. Mm-hmm. So you did the study on cyclists, but it originally kind of came from this concept of swimmers doing two-a-days is this something that applies to kind of any workout, any athlete that is needs to recover quickly because they have like a follow-up? It's a, sometimes there are tennis tournaments, right, where you're playing multiple matches in one day. Um, if you have probably relay races like Ragnar where you're doing more than one race in 24 hours, does this kind of work across the board for people no matter what? exercise they're doing, what kind of muscle groups they're using? Yes, but it would it would seem to make more sense to do it for those kinds of activities that put a severe drain on your muscle glycogen, so endurance kinds of activities. So, I mean, even tennis, even though the act of tennis is more about sprinting and more power, if you are going to play you know, multiple matches a day, then yes, theoretically it should work because one of the things that fatigues you over time is the loss of, of muscle carbohydrate. And so you need that as a quick source of fuel. So yeah, it should work for most activities in, in which there is a, a drain on your, your muscle glycogen stores. And of course, endurance sports put that largest drain on that. So any, any sport, it'll happen, but like baseball, for instance, that you're not going to really experience that kind of fatigue in a baseball game. Uh But certainly in a tennis match or any other kind of endurance tournament or sport, then then sure, yeah, then it'll work. And if you're not looking to do 
back to back, you said, you know, if your next run is in 24 hours, you don't necessarily need to, is it use that window, the recovery window of 60 minutes or that you don't need this type of beverage. That's like this carbohydrate rich follow-up to a workout. Yeah. I would say it's not as important as long as you eat a normal balanced diet you know, and you're not on one of these silly, low, very low-carb diets, as long as you have a normal balanced diet, then within 24 hours, your muscle glycogen tank should be full already. You know, all the research shows that between 24 and certainly up to 40, like if you did a 20-mile run, it may take a little bit more than 24 hours to get the tank all full again. But for most workouts, 24 hours is enough. And for even very severe endurance workouts, then 48 hours is certainly enough. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, for most people who are working out like once every 24 hours, then the chocolate milk concept is, you know, while it'll still help, it's not absolutely necessary because within 24 hours, you're going to fill the tank up again anyway. Mm-hmm. Silly low carbohydrate diet. I think that's what you just said. What yeah. do you recommend? Well, it's not just me. I mean, I could give you my recommendation, but my recommendations are supported by many, many, many years of research that, uh, you know, it was in the 1960s that we discovered as a scientific community that carbohydrate is the muscle's preferred fuel during exercise and prolonged endurance exercise severely lowers muscle glycogen content. And so uh, you get into the situation where the tank gets lowered through daily exercise and we need to eat the carbohydrate to replenish it so we can perform at a high level. It's in, almost impossible to do high intensity exercise without carbohydrate. You know, once we start to rely on fat, the intensity necessarily has to drop. That's the situation in a marathon. As you get into the later miles of the race, people's muscle glycogen fuel tanks are getting low their muscles start to rely more on fat and the pace slows down. Mm-hmm. And so you need at least a modest carbohydrate diet, depending on the nature of activity you're doing. People who are training for long endurance events, they need to eat a high carbohydrate diet. People who are just doing a modest amount of exercise, maybe need a modest amount of carbohydrate. As long as you have enough carbohydrate to match the demand for it through the exercise that you're doing. So it's hard to give a single number, but most Athletes should have at least a 50% carbohydrate diet, if not more. Someone who's training, like I said before, for a marathon or even an ultra marathon, the carbohydrate content of their diet may be 60 or even 70% of their total calories. But it gets used up. I mean, and people think that carbs are a bad thing, but carbs only get stored as fat if you're not using them. And it, it, the only way you're not using them is if you don't work out every day. So as long as you exercise every day, you're using the carbohydrate that you're consuming and it doesn't get stored to your left butt cheek. <laughs> just the left one, though. So then you're lopsided. Right. right. I have a friend who uh, was running 90 to 100 miles a week when he was trained to qualify for the Olympic marathon trials. And he would tell me, Jason, I eat a whole pound of pasta all at once. And this guy was six feet, 150 pounds. But when you're running 90 to 100 miles a week, there's no place for the carbohydrate to go other than to be used as fuel. It never gets stored as fat because you're constantly, because it takes a lot of carbohydrate fuel to run 90 to 100 miles a week. Mm -hmm. And so it's all about supply and demand. If you place a huge metabolic demand 
then through daily exercise, then all the carbohydrate you consume gets partitioned in that direction rather than get partitioned the other way and get stored as fat. Mm -hmm. The trick is to create a metabolic demand. Yeah. Well, but you had mentioned that, you know, in a marathon, you use up your glycogen stores and then you slow down as you start getting into using fat, right? Your body is... Yeah, you'll start to rely more on fat as the carbohydrate fuel tank gets lowered, yes. Right. And so to prevent the slowdown, is that, and we're kind of going in another direction now, is that how and why we kind of eat while on a run, whether it's a gel or a chew or some sort of drink, it's preventing that slowdown. Exactly. That's why all these sports nutrition companies have come out with these gels and goos and sports strings is to try to keep blood glucose elevated for as long as possible so that you can maintain the pace. Mm -hmm. Because once your muscles have to start to rely on fat, the pace will necessarily slow down. So if there's anything that you can do to delay that from happening... Like you notice that uh, when you watch elite runners run a marathon, they take their drinks. That's mostly for a hydration effect. They, the, the elite runners never take the gels and goos. You never see them squirting anything in their mouth. And the reason for that is because it's taking them a little over two hours to complete the race. So they have enough stored muscle glycogen to last that long. And human beings have enough stored glycogen to last a little more than two hours of moderate sustained exercise. So someone who runs a three-hour marathon or a three-and-a-half-hour marathon or a four-hour marathon, because it's just taken them longer to complete the race, they don't have enough stored carbohydrates. So they need to do something to try to prevent you know, what runners call the bonking. You know, cyclists call that bonking as well, that when you run out of fuel, you know, that's the, that coincides with hitting the infamous marathon wall is when your muscles have, have lost all their carbohydrate fuel. For sure. I thought so, it was 90 minutes, though. So I think I've... No, it's a bit longer. Yeah, the research shows, you know, it's in, somewhat in excess. I mean, it depends on the intensity, of course. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're running all out for two hours, you know, maybe the average person will deplete the tank in less than two hours. It depends on the number of factors, what your starting tank is, you know, how full the, the tank is to begin with, which depends on your diet and how much training you've been doing leading into the race. And then it depends on some genetic factors, like the elite athletes. One of the things that makes them elite is that their muscles uh, store more glycogen than everybody else, so they have more fuel when they go to the starting line. But for most people, they should be able to get through about two hours before their carbohydrate fuel tank is completely empty. Mm-hmm. Um, I love this topic. I feel like figuring out my fueling, the the timing and what I need change. Like I really felt like a marathon was a death march at first and figuring that out changed the game for me. So I do want to point out that if you are going to be running longer than two hours, right. And you do need fuel. It's not that you wait until you hit that two hour mark and start fueling. When do you suggest someone fuel in a marathon or in a situation where they are going to be active for three and a half, four hours, when should they start trying to replace that? Yeah, you have to try to predict fatigue a little bit because there is a time delay. Mm-hmm. And that's why you want the, the glucose that you consume to be, you know, as close to its simple form as possible. So that's you know, why these gels, you know, the easily digestible gels or drinks, because it takes some time from the time it goes in your mouth 
It has to pass through your stomach, then get into the small intestine, and then get absorbed from the small intestine into the bloodstream. And so there's a little bit of a time delay there. So if you want the fuel there at the time that you're fatigued, then you have to kind of uh, predict that a little bit and plan for that. So I usually recommend, you know, like in a marathon, about an hour and a half to an hour and 45 minutes in to start consuming some carbohydrate and then to try to have this steady stream of carbohydrate for the rest of the race. So maybe take like half a gel or half of those goo packets you know, once every 15 to 20 minutes or so. It's, rather, it's better to take it more often in smaller doses than less often all at once because of digestion. You're just trying to speed up how, you know, the digestion and get this into the small intestine as fast as possible. So if you take a little bit at a time and take it more often, that's typically a better strategy as long as your stomach can handle this because there's also the, the gastrointestinal issues. You know, some people are very sensitive to carbohydrates and in its pure form, and, and so, uh, you know, you have to practice with this stuff, but, but there is research to support that you can actually train your gut. So on your long training runs, you've got to train your gut and then practice this strategy. So rather than take a whole packet every 40 minutes, maybe take a half a packet every 20 minutes so that you have this slow, steady stream of carbohydrate coming into the bloodstream, and then the muscles will go and soak up that carbohydrate and use it for fuel so you can maintain the pace. Yeah. And I like that you said that because I feel like that's one of the things people always ask me when they reach out is like, oh, my stomach hurts. My stomach gets upset. I can't eat while I'm running. You know, what do you do? And it is like that is a part of training is kind of incorporating it. And if you need to do it in smaller doses, you need to figure out like everyone's different. But yes, if right. you kind of yeah. using half and more often, I think that's definitely solid advice. Love it. I'm craving chocolate milk now, by the way. So I might have to incorporate a two a day situation into my life. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> people um, always ask me about the, uh, the, um, cause a lot of people like a lactose intolerance. So people always ask me that question about, um, you know, being lactose intolerant and can they still drink, you know, how do they get the chocolate milk? And because most of the, the sugar is in the flavoring, then it doesn't have to be regular cow's milk. So even if someone's lactose intolerant or if they just don't like to drink regular milk, then it can come in any form. You know, there's a lot of milk substitutes, but then you know, some of those are low in protein. So that you just have to look at the label and see how many grams of protein and how many grams of carbohydrate. But it could literally be any drink that's high in carbohydrate and high in protein. You can make your own milkshake if you want as long as it just, you know, you're just getting those two nutrients in adequate quantities. So like right after you get done with the workout, you want to consume 20 to 30 grams of protein and you want to consume one gram of carbohydrate per kilogram of body weight. So you can make your own drink if you want, as long as it has enough of each of those proteins, because that's what will speed up recovery. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And that was one of the things that, like I was saying earlier, I think that was kind of what I thought was the whole basis of the study was that three to one carbs to protein balance. That is what makes it so ideal as a recovery. Yeah. What really makes it ideal is the exact number of grams of carbohydrate relative to your body weight and then the number of grams of protein. So uh -huh. like even when we did our study, I don't even know what the ratio was, but we weren't looking at ratios and, and nobody else's either. 
they're just designing their experiment and giving their subjects drinks based on how many grams of carbohydrate per kilogram of body weight you need to recover. And then the rate, whatever the ratio comes out to be, it comes out to be. But, but nobody, that to my knowledge, is actually comparing different ratios to see what's better. Mm-hmm. So the carbohydrates are based on your, you, like your body, and you're saying the protein should be about 20 grams. Yeah, about 20 to 30 grams. So that's not really based on body weight the way carbohydrate is. Mm-hmm. Boom. I love this. <sighs> yeah. Is there anything I didn't ask you about chocolate milk outside of, all right, do you have a lifetime supply that they are sending you? Chocolate milk <laughs> I should. I should get Yeah, I should get from one of these companies that Hershey should send me some chocolate milk. <laughs> all the hard work I do. I, I mean, really, though, I think because you're joking at first, but I was like, no, you get the credit for this chocolate milk phenomenon. I love it. Thank you. It's my claim to fame. <laughs> Are you training for anything right now or do you just train other people? Oh, yeah, I'm always training myself. I mean, right now I'm trying to get back in mile shape. You know, I've always been uh, fond of racing the mile. That's always been my favorite race. And so slowly but surely, I'm trying to get myself back in, in one mile race shape. And then I'll run some track meets this summer and see how fast I can run a mile. Thank you, Jason. I thought that was super interesting. I love this type of topic. Let me know your thoughts on it on my latest Instagram post. And I will put links to his website, the study, and his social media channels on runeatrepeat.com. Now it's time for the awards. This week, first place goes to my little brother for graduating high school. I went to his high school graduation and we had a big graduation party on Saturday. I shared a lot on Instagram and I actually did a blog post about it because the food was amazing and we did some super easy centerpieces that I think are good ideas. So I'll put that in the show notes as well. And I think I might have done one of my favorite boomerangs after the graduation ceremony. I don't know if I saved it, but we did a high five boomerang, which I thought was super fun. And also he was a super good sport about it because I know he was tired and (laughs) had already been kind of taking a lot of pictures. He is super awesome. So congratulations to him. Second place goes to my parents for getting all of us through school, dealing with him, me, a handful. I know that's surprising. My other brother, they are super awesome and they deserve a lot of credit as well. And huge shout out to anyone out there that is being helpful and supportive to your kids, brothers and sisters, siblings, friends, whoever. I just think that as we are kind of going through school, I don't, this is like kind of one of those things that now I look back and I'm like, whoa, my parents were awesome. My mom did so much. She was constantly driving me around and buying me things and just like being amazing. And I just want to take a second to recognize all of the super awesome, supportive parents and guardians out there. And third place goes to you for following me 
on Instagram and on Facebook and also just in general for listening. I have said this a couple of one-off times to people who have messaged me on Instagram, but because I know for myself, when I'm listening to podcasts, I am multitasking. So I am not necessarily commenting, chiming in, interacting with the person I'm listening to, like I used to with blogs and with social media. So I know that you're listening and I really appreciate it. I also want to mention the Facebook group. So I just started a Facebook group just for the podcast because I wanted to be able to put a call out for questions. If you have questions for anyone, I did that on my Instagram stories for the last episode. And because that's only up for 24 hours, we've got a handful of questions, but I want to give you some more advanced notice. So I have an RD that is a sleep expert coming up soon. If you have any questions, check out the Facebook group and you can chime in there. And that way we can kind of keep the conversation in one place. I am full disclosure, not the biggest Facebook person. I spend more time on Instagram, but after kind of looking into several different options, I think that Facebook is the best place for us to kind of um, connect and Instagram is just, there's not really a way to have a community there. I have researched doing a community on runningrepeat.com. I think that's kind of more complicated. So that's where we're at. There will be a link to the Facebook group in the show notes on runningrepeat.com. And that is all for today. I super, super appreciate you listening. Please subscribe to the show. And maybe when you're not listening, you can comment, chime in, leave a review, or maybe tell someone they should be listening. And please let me know what you're doing right now by tagging at repeat on Instagram. Have a great run. Thank you for listening. For show notes, recipes, discounts, and more, go to www.runeatrepeat.com. You can also connect with Monica on Instagram by following at Run Eat Repeat and on Facebook by going to Facebook.com slash Run Eat Repeat. Be sure to subscribe to the show and please rate and review in your podcast app.